you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. With us from Huntington Hospital in Pasadena, Director of Infectious Disease and Prevention, Dr. Kimberly Schreiner, to uh, talk about how things are at Huntington. Dr. Schreiner, a very good Monday to you. Thanks for joining us. Happy Valentine's Day, Larry. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So how are things looking at Huntington? Are you seeing a decline in your patient count? Yeah, we are. It's uh, it's really reflective of what's happening around the county. Um, the number of people coming in with COVID is diminishing, uh, passing through our emergency room that require admission, uh, and the number of inpatients that we're able to discharge successfully, thank goodness, is increasing. So our numbers are dropping nicely, um, and that makes it just so much easier to uh, continue to do the work that we do normally when we don't have a pandemic. Uh, but we're being vigilant and very cautious because we all know with this virus that one can't exactly predict what's going to happen. And so we want to be very um, respectful of the fact that uh, we could have another episode, you know, in a few months or so. But right now we're looking very good, and it's it's certainly a, a nice time for our staff as well. Uh, Friday, Governor Newsom gave an interview up in the Bay Area, and it it sounded like the state of California is ready, perhaps this week, to lift the statewide school mask mandate. The governor suggested he'd be ready to roll it back if it weren't for the teachers' unions with whom they're still negotiating. And it appears we're getting ever closer to that place where we would say COVID-19 is endemic, not a pandemic. And when do you think is a reasonable time frame for us to shift our thinking about it and consider it more in, in number of cases and behavior like a seasonal flu? Well, that's a very difficult question, Larry. I think that there's no que- there's no doubt that the virus has been around long enough that it's sort of la- laid down this layer of uh, previous experience for individuals. Either they are fully vaccinated and have immunity that way, or they've had the infection and have some immunity uh, through that modality. Um, it's hard to know exactly when it's going to become endemic. That's much more of an epidemiologic thing. And uh, an endemic pathogen is something that flares up periodically, as you mentioned, in a seasonal fashion. We still have kind of a, don't have a good understanding of the seasonality of this virus. It doesn't follow the same patterns as influenza, although we do know that seasons that bring people in close contact with one another have higher risks of transmission. So I do think that we are going to have to learn to live with this. And we are. We have the tools now uh, that are reasonable. We need to hone those tools so that they're better. Testing, uh, the use of when do we do masking, when do we not do masking, when do we loosen up on 
on social restrictions, when do we clamp down on them, uh, certainly promoting vaccinations, adapting vaccines that are much more uh, broader and perhaps can ca capture variants that might emerge, and keeping a track of uh, the, the emergence of variants, which is a very, very important part of our ability to cope with this thing as we go forward. But I think there's really no appetite for going back to super strict uh, restrictions unless we have a massive outbreak with a new variant that escapes the vaccine. So it's a, it's a tricky time. I think we all are going to have to spend one of our risk cards and move forward and try to balance uh, getting on with life with managing this virus. But we also just need to be very aware that it, it pulls no punches and it can be very serious and can be very unpredictable. Dr. Schreiner, uh, there is a bill in Sacramento uh, that was introduced Friday. It would require all businesses, regardless of size, to mandate COVID-19 vaccinations for everyone who works for the particular company, as well as independent contractors. There could still be medical or religious exemptions, um, which... You know, I think for many of us, we feel like it would be wonderful. The more people that are vaccinated, that's only good. There is something to consider as a balance against that, and particularly certain types of work where you might have a higher percentage of people who are vaccine-resistant and are dug in on that. And and there, there could be disruptions as a result of that. And I'm just curious your thoughts about attempting to balance the public health benefit of a mandate versus the potential loss of employees in particular sectors. Well, again, it's a very uh, difficult situation. I, I have sort of, at this point, I think that everybody who wants to get a vaccine certainly has the ability to and has done so. And there are still some people that I think during the Omicron surge saw that and saw how scary that was and have proceeded to get vaccinated. I've had some patients of mine that we've taken care of with COVID that have now said, I'm going to go out and, and complete my vaccination or get a vaccine, even though I've had COVID, which we recommend for people who've had natural infection. You know, the vaccines are probably one of the most important parts of controlling this pandemic. But as we know, the vaccines are not perfect. Uh, they are not dangerous, but they are not perfect in preventing acquisition of disease. They absolutely, as we've seen in this surge, decrease the risk of, um, of mortality and, and uh, hospitalization. And that's critically important. Um, but I think, you know, the mandate thing, it seems to sort of trigger a lot of um, uh, anxiety in many individuals. And it's, that's a political decision. I'm not sure it's worked even in countries that have a very sort of um, obedient population. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, it's going to require ongoing commentaries on vaccines because I think this is going to be with us for a while. We're going to have to modify the vaccines, I think, as we move forward. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of yeah. about that, Larry. I think it's. I understand. Yeah, but I think it's going to be problematic. It's like so many things where where it's a serious trade-off. I I think there's no question. We're at eight six six eight nine three KPCC. I've heard a lot of criticism that you know hardly a mask was to be seen at the Super Bowl yesterday as people were talking in close proximity to each other without a mask. Uh, SoFi is technically an outdoor facility, uh, even though there is a roof for it. But my question for you is sort of looking at this from a, um, a population impact. Is the Super Bowl a large enough event given where we are with exposure and vaccination in, in the population that didn't go to the game, that that game could be a super spreader? 
Well, I, it, it was disappointing. I, I saw that there was very little mask wearing going on, which it's just so easy to do that. And that's such a highly effective way of transmitting disease or acquiring disease. So I uh, preventing that. And I think that uh, that was very disappointing. But whether this turns out to be a super spreader event or not, I think is unclear. The one maybe advantage is the fact that it really came on the heels of <clears throat> the other side of the Omicron surge. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think that there's been a, there's a lot of natural disease out there, natural immunity out there now, and in addition to a you know very well vaccinated population in LA County. So so that may protect us a little bit. I worry a lot about the the sort of private parties where there were you know 20 or 30 people unmasked in close proximity at home. Uh, that that certainly is something we we're going to have to watch for in the next two weeks to see if that impacted us. We may have dodged a bullet there, but I don't know. We'll just have to see. Yeah, and I wonder if that is the bigger issue because we had the NFC Championship at SoFi, which was a full crowd and very few masks that were worn. And at least, you know, two weeks after that, we have not we have not seen a, a surge. But I think, as you're saying, people gathering indoors, if there's not circulation and whatnot, we, we you know, we could certainly be seeing some results from that that make sense. And, and I hadn't thought about that as much as being an issue, but so true. Uh, your questions for Dr. Kimberly Schreiner, Huntington Hospital in Pasadena, noted infectious disease specialist. We're at 866-893-KPECC, 866-893-5722. If there's a Super Bowl bump, either from people's uh, at-home parties or from the SoFi crowd, how long would it take for us to see that? Well, we would start seeing positivity rates, you know, probably in the three to five, seven days after exposure. One of the things that's going to be interesting to try to do is, you know, the home tests are now available. And so a lot of people will be using those and those will not be reported necessarily to the health department. So we may see numbers that are not quite representative um, of true circulating virus. But in about two weeks, we might start seeing people that are more symptomatic who are coming into the emergency room. And then, of course, three and four weeks after that, we start seeing people that are admitted to the hospital, uh, especially unvaccinated folks um, who are sick. So uh, it's going to be about the next two to four weeks that we really see the impact of this. But I I do wonder if we might have a little bit of wiggle room since we had the event uh, right after kind of on the on the other side of the of the surge and there's enough protection circulating right for right now it's just it's just hard to know we're just going to have to follow it very carefully Stephen la Cunata tweeted at airtalk could you estimate the current community immunity aka herd immunity estimates are that around 84 percent of those infected during omicron were unvaxxed which would imply around one to three million people have some level of protection from infection, plus seven million plus who have been vaccinated. Does that mean herd immunity is greater than 90 percent? Well, those are great statistics, um, uh, and it would be hopeful. The problem is twofold. The first is that that's may, that might comprise herd immunity for well, the viruses that we've already seen, Omicron, Delta, Alpha, those sort of things. Uh, but Omicron didn't really emerge from Delta. The, the variation emergence is not linear. And so it's entirely possible that a, a new variant could emerge that uh, where it provide the vaccines and or natural infection provide no uh, prevention of infection. We know that people that were infected with Delta didn't have any protection against Omicron. So herd immunity can change with the emergence of a different variant. Uh, the other issue is, is that with this particular virus, uh, you know, you're going to have to get 95, 98 percent 
uh, coverage uh, to get herd immunity so that the virus just really doesn't have any place to go. You can have pockets of high immune uh, areas that where there's very little circulating virus, and I think that's what we do have now. Uh, so, um, But it's not on a global or national level. It's going to be much harder to achieve that, if we can at all. Orange County's COVID hospitalizations have declined again, uh, falling from 482 to 456. 96 Orange County residents are in intensive care. That's down from over 100 on Saturday. The county uh, has 22% of its ICU beds that are available. Uh, So, Dr. Schreiner, it, it seems like throughout California, the trend is very positive here. But as you say, this sort of looming, the, the, the looming question is, is there going to be another Omicron type variant for which the immunity is is limited? And, and do we have enough surveillance around the world to get a sense of that coming? Or did we just luck out because South Africa has such a good surveillance system? We saw Omicron coming. Well, we don't have terrific global surveillance in place in areas where there could be uh, circulating variants, uh, but we do have some, uh, certainly in Europe and in South Africa. They were they were very uh, quick to report the emergence of that variant. Um, you may have, some of your listeners might have heard this morning on NPR a talk about wastewater, and it's a very interesting modality where they test uh, the wastewater that's coming out of the uh, the sewage treatment plants to evaluate for the presence of different variants. That's going to be a very important tool going forward, and it's done in a lot of the large cities in California and in uh, New York and, and around the country. So I think that, again, we're going to have to spend some capital in investing in ways of doing good uh, viral surveillance to watch for the emergence of a variant. So if we find one, we can quickly institute um, you know, up, upgrade masking once again or upgrade um, uh, you know, social distancing, that kind of stuff. We are going to have to learn how to do this up and down and up and down in terms of uh, the emergence of different variants, if that happens. It's hard to know. Omicron may be enough to have sort of give us a few months of uh, of quiet. I do think that the, the when people gather in the summer or in the fall next year, and certainly for the holidays next year, that those are times when we could have higher viral transmission. But this thing is so unpredictable, we just don't know. Let's talk with Barbara in West Los Angeles. You're on Air Talk with Dr. Kimberly Schreiner of Huntington Hospital. Hi, Barbara. Hi. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. I'm the director of the West Los Angeles Children's Choir, and we have been rehearsing on Zoom for the past two years. And so, of course, my question is, when do you think it might be safe for the children to come back over here and rehearse in person? Uh, we'd probably have about 15 kids, but they rehearse in our living room at a time. And you don't have any appropriate outdoor space, I'm taking it, for that many kids. You know, we could. We could possibly rehearse outside for a while. But, okay. You know. Yeah. But, uh, no, it's a great question, Barbara. Thanks so much. And you speak for so many listeners involved in, in uh, arts uh, and music organizations like that. Dr. Schreiner. Well, that's so very important, and I'm a big opera fan and and choral music, so that's just a really important thing to do for young people. A couple questions. The first would be if the kids are between uh, are eligible for a vaccine, it would be great if they were uh, fully vaccinated. That will provide you with a great deal of protection uh, for the members of the choir. If they're too young for that or they can't take the vaccine or they haven't yet been vaccinated for some reason, that makes it a little bit higher risk. The second thing is certainly, as Larry was pointing out, is to do an outdoor venue to for rehearsals. That's very safe, um, and you know we've had some nice weather for the last few months, so 
that would be another option. Uh, outdoors is always uh, much safer than indoors with any of the variants. Uh, the third would be testing. If you do have a small venue that you have to either perform in or practice in, if you can get uh, some uh, either high-quality uh, rapid tests or, uh, or even a PCR test, which is much more likely to pick up asymptomatic infection, that would be another option. Uh, so those are really the tools that we, that we use. You know, we, we, we sort of have to assess the risk and then use the techniques that we know to, uh, to uh, assess how much virus is in that population. Annan Torrance says, I'm 84, I've had two vaccinations, and I'm two months out from my booster. Is there any possibility there will be a fourth shot I can take to protect myself for future planning? I'm travel, uh, future travel I'm planning for this summer. Good question, Ann. Yes, so Ann, that's a very timely question. Um, the CDC just released some little bit disappointing information about the boosters that in older people, greater than 65 or so, there may be a pretty fast decline in the presence of protective antibodies. Uh, and so there has been some conversation about providing a fourth booster. The timing of that has really not been decided. And of course, we do know that there still is quite good memory in the immune system uh, with regard to uh, the virus. And that was pro- proven very nicely during this Omicron surge where you could see a huge difference between people of all ages that were protected when they were fully vaccinated and boosted. Um, it does get to the point where boosting becomes sort of, uh, if we're boosting every two or three or four months, that becomes kind of defeats the purpose, I think. And there also is data coming out of uh, Israel that has shown that re- the fourth booster um, may or may not really add that much in terms of protection. So I think there's um, a possibility that a booster would be helpful uh, before travel or perhaps in the summertime for uh, vulnerable populations, but probably not everybody. Uh, and I do think there's a real need now for directing vaccines towards a core uh, conserved part of the protein, maybe rather than the spike protein, or even uh, this pan-coronavirus vaccine work that's being done uh, in uh, some of the research labs about developing vaccines that can kind of cover a wider range of variants and also produce a little bit better immunity. Coronaviruses are hard to develop immunity to uh, because they're not, they don't behave like influenza, and uh, they cycle up and down. Their, their seasonality is unclear, and so that's why it's been such a challenge. The vaccines are absolutely protective and very, very helpful, but they also may wane after about four or five months. And do you know where they're at in the testing of any of these pan-coronavirus vaccines that would provide much broader protection? Yeah, so the Walter Reed Institute is looking at that, and, and the government NIH is working on that. Fauci, of course, mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Um, they think it's going to be about a year or perhaps two before it's really uh, rolled out in clinical trials, but the technology looks very interesting. And again, this is one of the benefits of, of, of the pandemic is that we, we have really developed and ramped up our understanding of vaccine response and also modalities to implement vaccines. All right. We have another listener question from Jess in Buena Park, who emailed us. I'm a high-risk individual trying to decide if I need to make a career change. I'll soon be returning to my job at a theme park where there's a lot of interaction with people. I'll either be outside in the park, indoors working in close proximity to other employees, or in a largish room with up to 60 people wearing cloth masks while dancing and singing. I always wear glasses and an N95 mask. How safe should I feel in these situations? Well, those are, uh, you know, certainly there's a, some of them are higher risk, the indoor events, especially when people are very active indoors. Uh, there's a lot more uh, potential for uh, aerosols and so forth in the air. You know, wearing an N95 really protects you. 
the duration of time that you're in that kind of confined area makes a difference in terms of what your risk is. Of course, being fully vaccinated and boosted, and depending on what the immunocompromised state is, if it's something where your immune system doesn't respond very well to the vaccines, you probably should have a, should have a fourth booster. And or there's a new medication called Evusheld, uh, which is those are for highly uh, immune compromised people, people with cancers and so forth. But it is uh, a very interesting idea to protect you. It's an injection that you take every six months. So that's something to, to discuss with your physician. Um, I think certainly wearing an N95 and just being very risk aware is uh, going to protect you. And if you enjoy your job, then there's ways of working it. Diane in West L.A. says, I rehearse with the St. Matthew's Church Choir. We now practice distanced in the church instead of a practice room. We wear singing masks. They're a little bit different. They look more like a beak and give you a lot more room to belt. They make mouth movements for singing much easier. I recommend them for all singers that find themselves in a pandemic. Diane, I've not heard about singing masks. Uh, I wonder what the if there's a technical name for them. Are you familiar with those, Dr. Schreiner? I have seen some of the early ones. There's also some masks um, uh, for like speech therapists and for deaf uh, individuals, heart, um, hearing impaired people that have transparent pieces. So there's a lot of modifications in masking. The only problem is that those have not been you know, super well tested with OSHA. So um, you don't want to have a mask that might cover your mouth, but isn't very protective in terms of transmission of droplets. I haven't seen any scientific data on on the droplet uh, efficacy of those singing masks, but they do seem to be a potential way of protecting people. Linda in La Cunada asks, if you take an at-home test and the positive line is extremely faint, does that indicate you're definitely positive or is it questionable? I went and got a professional rapid test done and it ended up being negative. It's hard sometimes to interpret the positivity. That's where the danger is of the home testing businesses is it was the sample collected properly? Is the test too old? Uh, is there some um, aberrance in the uh, testing uh, platform itself? So, uh, you know, I think if you get something that you can't really read, it's better to repeat the test uh, with a fresh rapid test if you can, or to, as as you did, go to another venue and get a test at a in a clinic or a hospital where they are doing testing. Uh, Maria emailed us, how long can a person test positive on a home antigen test? I'm 13 days into my COVID infection since the start of my symptoms, and I'm still testing positive. Maria also wants to know, do I need to still wear a mask indoors at home with my family? So the rapid tests are designed to pick up replicating virus, and that's uh, they generally become negative faster than the PCR tests. A PCR test can be persistently positive, sometimes for weeks after infection because they're detecting little bits of virus, but you're actually not infectious. If the rapid test is still positive, I would have to be concerned that you might still be shedding viable virus and be still having viral replication and be infectious. So, yes, you would need to continue to wear your mask. And then in that situation, again, if you're getting some results that are hard to interpret, I'd recommend that you go to a, a clinic or a professional laboratory and get tested properly. All right. Uh, and uh, I think that's that's it for our listeners right now. Dr. Schreiner, thank you so much for joining us. We wish you a, a very happy Valentine's Day and always appreciate you sharing your expertise so generously. My pleasure, Larry. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at LAist.com, at kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle.
This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.